Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivy. Now, as well as being a blind individual and having a blog, Maxwell has also, he has a podcast called the What's Your Excuse Show, and he also has written three books. Now, I'll give you a few quick details before the show gets started. Um, essentially, what we talk about in this is how Maxwell lost his vision, because he lost it, well, he started to lose it when he was quite young and was almost completely blind by sort of the end of uh, high school, college, that sort of time. We do delve into that sort of thing. So we talk about how he lost his vision, the importance of accepting a helping hand, how people have mistreated him due to him being blind, the books that he's written, modern meditation, and loads of other things like that. So it's a really interesting chat as well as being quite wholesome um this week is only part one part two will be out next week which i'll go into a bit more later and that's really much about it for now um there's going to be a quick promo for beer nuts productions um which is a friend of mine called goff who is another blind gentleman um he resides in australia and is a filmmaker uh, he's been on the show twice uh, in the past and he's also due to come on again uh, in a few weeks time um i don't know when the episode will be released i'm speaking with him uh, in a couple weeks time so keep an eye out for that but yeah essentially we've got the chat coming up um but just before that the promo by beer nuts that's about it for me guys at the moment i'll let the chat get started but i will be back at the end of the chat uh, just to talk about what's coming up including in part two what's coming up over the coming weeks and a few bits and pieces of more information um i have also included links to maxwell's blog and his podcast in the description so make sure you check those out Anyway, that's enough from me, guys. I hope you have a great day. Um, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Make sure if you do, you give Maxwell all the love you can. And I'll be back at the end for more details. Hi, this is Goff from BeerNutsProductions.com and you're listening to Genuine Chit Chat Podcast with my pal, Mike Burton. And after you're done listening to Mike and his special guest for the week, why not head on over to BeerNutsProductions.com for some of our hilarious and original content. We've got a great range of movies, audio downloads, and so much more for you to enjoy. That's BeerNutsProductions.com, the home of the world's greatest entertainment. And that's not overselling it. But for now, it's back over to you, Mike. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. So, I am here today with Maxwell Ivy. Uh, Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you're an incredibly busy person, and in all honesty, you're inspirational. Uh, with all the sort of crazy things that you've done and accomplished thus far, like, let alone what you're going to achieve in the future, I mean, it's it's great to have you on the show. I wonder if you could sort of introduce yourself and tell people what you're all about, really. Well, sure. Uh, hi, guys. I am Max Ivy. I'm known around the world as the blind blogger. Uh, I am a, a former carnival owner, uh, actually failed at being a carnival owner, started an online amusement equipment brokering website in 2007 before WordPress, Wi-Fi, or social media. Uh, people were impressed with all the work I had to do, including, how to, including learning how to hand code HTML, but they said, Max, we want to hear more about being an entrepreneur who happens to be blind, so it started a second website is The Blind Blogger, where I share my experiences and the lessons I've learned from them and hopefully the lessons people can take from them. Along the way, people said, you know, Max, if you can do this stuff, why can't I or what's my excuse? And so uh, the what's your excuse or no excuses has become part of my brand, which is uh, where the name of my podcast, The What's Your Excuse Show, comes from, which is where I interview people who have 
overcome adversity or difficult life circumstances. Um, I am visually impaired, almost totally blind. I started losing my vision when I was four or five. By the time I entered junior high school, I was using a white cane and learning to read Braille. By the time I graduated from college, I had lost most of my vision. Uh, but I was lucky enough to and determined enough to achieve the rank of Eagle Scout, uh, attend and graduate from a traditional high school and college, and work alongside my dad for over 15 years in the carnival world before his death led to the closure of the business. And nowadays, I speak, I write, I travel, I sing, and I help other people get exposure by connecting them with podcast hosts like yourself. And that in itself is an absolutely incredible resume. I mean, I've listened to uh, your show, uh, one of the most recent episodes as well, um, and you can really tell that you enjoy it. And it's really nice to see someone who is so, so passionate about essentially what they do. So I want to kind of, um, I'd, I'd ask obviously the, for lack of a better word, elephant in the room of yourself being blind. If you want to just get into that a little bit more of just sort of how, how you were, when it sort of happened. And then after we've just briefly spoken about that, we can talk about all the other ventures that I want to get into. Right. Well, I think that um, there are many areas in my blind, my life that my blindness has helped me, partly because at one time I had perfect vision and then I lost vision gradually. So I had to continually adjust to varying levels of visual ability. So for example, I've gone from reading regular print in a dark room to having to have a magnifying glass to having to buy large print books or get large print books from the library to uh, using a closed circuit television to put the text up on a screen uh, to audio books and Braille. I've gone from a manual typewriter keyboard to electric keyboard to computer keyboards and now kicking and screaming to the iPhone and the iPad. So <laughs> As my vision changed, I was constantly having to adapt to new circumstances. And that, I think, is really helpful when you're in today's world where nothing is constant. We cannot depend on anything being the same. Uh, Long-held jobs and careers and educational systems that we used to think would be around forever have failed us in the last 10, 15, 20 years to the point where nobody really knows what they're going to do for a living next year, much less the next generation. So I think that is really helped me. The other thing, and this is a really key part of my whole story and my whole message is when I was growing up, I knew I was going to lose my vision. So my dad especially said, Max, don't ever be afraid to ask people for help because they're going to want to help you. And the odds are, if you don't ask, you're going to end up in more trouble than if you just stuck your hand up and say, Hey, hey I need some help with it. So I've spent my life with the whole idea that asking for help is not a bad thing. There's nothing weak or uh, inept or embarrassing by having to do it and so as a result I have no I have no shame asking for help um, I also uh, have learned though that most of the people in the world are raised to believe that if they ask for help or if they ask for opportunities that there's something wrong with them so one of the things I try to do is explain to people you know we're not meant to do this all by ourselves in fact if you want to make real progress real quick the best way to do that is to invite other people into your life, into your journey, and have them be part of your story. And I've come up with this one expression that seems to work best because when I put it this way, people think about the other person instead of thinking about themselves. And that is, I tell people, when you, when you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of the joy that they would have received from helping you. And so if you just think about the other person, think about how crappy their day may be right now, and how much better their day would be if you came along and said, hey, I know you know this stuff. I'm really struggling with it. I could really use your help. And 
see if that doesn't change their day. Because I know most people, if you get an opportunity yourself to do something for somebody, doesn't that make you feel better? That is incredibly beautiful. I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention uh, offering help in that sort of way. But, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, for for my life, I've always tried to been, you know, offering the helping hand to others. But for the longest time, I was actually, you know, as most people are, as you rightly said, you know, I was... I felt like asking for help and showing myself to be vulnerable was a weakness. But as I've gotten older and um, my dad passed away when I was 19, so several years ago now, and after that happened to me, it was, I started asking for help more. I let people see me being vulnerable. And it's such a more rewarding existence when you are able to ask for help, when you're happy to be vulnerable with those people. Uh, So I agree with you completely. Yeah. And I've got many amazing stories of of how people have helped me over the years, including two years ago when I was in New York City for, I think, the third or fourth time to speak at a conference called WordCamp New York City. And uh, I got I got sick because I was sick. I wasn't as able to sell my books or promote my service. So I was sick, uh, broke and about to be homeless in New York City. And because I had built uh, connections with people online I reached out on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and eventually a fellow uh, online business person named Rob provided me with a hotel room and put money on the mini bar so I could eat that night. And another lady named uh, Denise provided me with the uh, with the rest of the money for a train ticket to get myself back to Houston, back where I, back where I needed to be back to at that point, so I could go home and get well. And you know, those things wouldn't have happened except for. One, I show myself to be vulnerable. I'm about as real as real gets online and people are attracted to that because of it. I build connections and because of the, the, the true honesty and the connection I make, the friendships I make with people when I needed help and I really needed it bad, there were some people who stepped up and did things that I don't think most people would have expected them to do for somebody they didn't personally know. Mm, yeah and i must say obviously with yourself being blind you must have an interesting perspective on people because i imagine you have sort of a slightly more extreme view of the positive and negative to some degree because uh, do you mind if i ask um have you had many people who are uh, very dismissive of you due to yourself being blind and be quite horrible to you um you know i haven't really had a lot of experiences with that um one well, thing you least. know I, I i yeah it is good but you know i am uh, I, I have her it does seem to happen more with uh, with women than with men it also seems to happen more with older people who are who have lost their vision but you know i'm uh i'm 6 foot 4 about 270 280 pounds when i meet people i've usually got a smile i usually got my hand out to shake their hand uh very very seldom do people look past me. Um, occasionally I'll be somewhere going sighted guide and somebody will talk to the guide instead of talking to me. But, um, usually it doesn't take too long for that person to, you know, go, Hey, um, (laughs) you want to talk to him? I don't know nothing about what he's doing. You know, I'm just, (laughs) I'm just the dog, you know, that's sort of, um, you know, back to New York, uh, two years ago, I did see, uh, I did have one occasion where we were outside of a, outside of a, I guess you'd call it a nightclub or a bar, the organizers had arranged a karaoke night. So we're leaving. And there was at least one cab wouldn't take me in his car because, and, and I don't have a dog, you know, it wasn't a guide dog issue. It's just uh, me with my cane. He just wasn't going to take me. And 
the next cab who did take me, when he dropped me off, he tried to drop me off. It was at a, it was at a hotel where you have to press one of those buzzers and they come down and let, open the door for you. Hmm. He tried to put me out on the sidewalk and have me pay him before I was inside the building. And I thought that was, that was very not understanding of it. And I eventually figured out, you know, Max, this guy didn't want you in his cab to start with. He took you because he was afraid of getting in trouble for not taking you. And now you and him are having a problem and he's threatening to call the cops on you. And I said, I, and that night I went and posted on Facebook. I said, look, I don't care what the rules are. If you don't want me in your cab, don't take me in your cab. If you don't want me in your truck, don't ask me to get in your truck. Because all you're doing by following those rules and doing something you hate is basically creating a problem. Sooner or later, we're going to have a problem that we don't need to have. You know, so hmm. it hasn't happened to me much. But my attitude, like you say, is kind of a is kind of a different way of looking at things. I'm not one of those people who's going to go. You have to take me and take me or else I'm going to sue your butt. <laughs> that's that's my way of doing it. You know, my attitude is is you know I'd like you to take me. I I think you would benefit from taking me. I have the money to pay you if it's a if it's a commerce situation, but I'm not. I don't want to bang you over the head and make you do it because when I make people do stuff, they resent that. And sooner or later, something bad is going to happen because they resent it. Just like, uh, and another thing that I have kind of what I think is a different opinion on people is many people are like, Max, you're blind. You travel in other, you know, strange cities across the country by yourself. How do you know one of these people isn't going to mug you or rob you or abduct you or, or even just be, you know, just be mean and maybe heckle you or something. And I tell them, you know, over the years, I have generally, I've generally gotten up in the morning with the idea that people, most of them are good people. And I tell people that you expect, you, you meet the people that you expect to meet. So most people that are meeting people that, you know, they think will rip them off or treat them badly. I understand there's some parts of the country and there's some situations where that is a, that is a proper expectation because that's what's going to happen. But for the most part, I expect the best out of people and I usually get it. Um, over the last few years, I've had uh, people buy me meals in restaurants that didn't know me. I've had cab drivers refuse to, to take the money for the fare. I've, I've had people at the airports refuse to charge me bag fees. You know, there's, Lots of stuff like that that happens because, like I said, I don't want to force nobody. I show up with my smile and my handshake and ask nicely. Mm. I think a lot of the world can learn from just that alone of just, you know, as uh, you know, as I've tried to get older, I try and generally be nicer to people because, as, as you say, if you're nicer to people almost first – then it kind of it opens the doorway for them to reciprocate that to be nice back to you but if you go in thinking everyone's against me all the time well no one's going to want to actually help you in that regard yeah and it does really start with the with your thoughts and your feelings about what you expect even before you say hello or before you you voice any of your thoughts about the person you're meeting it really does start with your attitude and what you're expecting out of the other person Mm, I agree completely. And so obviously, we're speaking about your sort of travels a little bit. So I think it's really a good time to sort of loop onto your books. And obviously, I mean, it's impressive enough for anyone to write a book. But it's incredible that you've not only written three, but you've got a fourth in the works. And I'm sure you're going to be writing after that. So uh, I thought you'd like to sort of speak about the the three novel or three books that you've written. And um, obviously, you can finish off with the third one about your traveling as well. Sure, sure. Well, the, the first one I wrote on a dare, a, a woman asked me to be part of an online summit. She said I need to have a book. And so I started writing. It's called Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. 
It uh, talks a bit about my uh, transformation from carnival owner to equipment broker and to eventually to author. And it has 11 exercises people can go through that will help them on the progress to whatever their goal or, or dream may be. It also includes my email address because I want people to report on their progress. And I want them to know that even if nobody in their family, their neighborhood, or their community believes in them, that there's at least one person that is going to listen and believes that they are capable of accomplishing whatever it is they're setting out to do. So that's the first book. Um, the second book is It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag, A Guide to Weight Loss Success, which I wrote to basically chronicle my experiences before, during, and after having successful gastric surgery. And besides the chapters in there about diet, nutrition, and that sort of thing, there's also some really good chapters in there about what I call uh, modern meditation, why affirmations don't work, and finding the positive in life. So that's the second book. And the third book is The Blind Blogger's New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. That one is based on my experiences. I competed for and won one of the prestigious Amtrak Writers in Residence. Thousands of people compete for it. They pick 24 people and they give them train transportation anywhere in the United States so that they can get away from their house and their routine, meet some new people, visit some new scenery, and hopefully get their juices flowing to write something. And since I'm generally a nonfiction self-help author, I, I wrote a book about, my, about what I was thinking and feeling before, during, and after the whole experience, how I chose what city I was going to go to, some of the places I visited while I was there, some of the techniques that allowed me to, to manage to make the trip. So, and that's uh, The Blind Bar's New York City Adventures. And then the book I'm working on right now, it doesn't have a title yet, but it'll be a continuation of my adventures and it will chronicle my uh, trip during 2017 when I left Houston for my first public speaking event and my first book signing. And then also when some plans fell through. I, instead of getting so focused on the mission that I that I went straight back home, decided to spend some long-awaited quality time with my brother and his family in Florida, and my aunt and aunts and uncles in uh, South Carolina. People I had my brother hadn't seen for probably six or seven years, and the other side of the of the Ivy family probably hadn't seen any of those in twenty years. So it was. It was kind of a good thing when that part of the trip fell through, but that's what the, the next book is going to be about. And you're right. Uh, just the other night, I wrote the introduction to the fifth book, which <laughs> it starts after I get back to Houston from, uh, wait a minute, this, this, it starts after I get back from, to Houston from that trip, and it goes through my first uh, hometown Houston book signing, um, some other uh, public speaking events, a couple of, you know, really bad experiences, one with a book signing and one with a speaking event. And then uh, how I recovered from those, how I kept going forward. And then it's going to end with me speaking at an event called PodFest, which I'm going back to in, in a few weeks in March, where not only did I give a great talk in the Pichu Kucha session, but uh, I really took advantage of their gratitude session at the end of the conference and I think standing up on that big stage of theirs, saying how grateful I was to to have the opportunity to speak there and all the things that had to come together to allow me to be there that particular week, I think it's going to be a really good ending place for that fifth book. 
Wow. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot to discuss. So uh, you've you managed to articulate that incredibly. I mean, I can't even... If you tell me three films I like and try and explain the synopsis of them, I can't. I just mumble off into the distance and go yeah, on nothing. Yeah, but like I tell people, this is my story. If I didn't know it, then I'd be in trouble. And I also tell people all the time that are that are scared of being interviewed. They're like, well, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? It's your story. It's your journey. It's you. There really shouldn't be a question they can ask you that you don't know the answer to and shouldn't be able to give it to them. You might have to pause for 10 or 20 seconds. But, you know, so, you know, those are my books, my stories. Uh, I won't call them my children, but I know some authors do. <laughs> and and so, I've, you know, I, I really should, you know, know them like the back of my head. But as far as movies, I'm good with plots and characters, but I'm I'm terrible at people's real names. Ah, uh, yeah, I know that feel. <laughs> um, I was going to ask actually. Um, I hope you don't mind. If, I don't know if this class is as a rude question anyway. But with when being blind, do you, as you became more blind from obviously twelve to sort of late teens, did you find that your other senses actually got better? I apologize. If that's an insensitive, stupid question, but I've no. It's it's okay. I'm going to I'm going to help you out by starting with this part of my answer first. Okay. In my opinion, and we've already discussed how I'm different from a lot of people, and in fact, I'm different from quite a few blind people. In my opinion, I would rather answer an awkward question that's sincerely asked than to have you guess or be sitting there thinking about it. I'd love to ask this question, but I'm afraid I'm going to make you mad. So so we're good. In fact, there's a whole school of thought. There's a debate as to whether your senses get sharper or whether your brain becomes better at processing what sensory information you receive. Right now, the science seems to be on the side of neuroplasticity, which basically says that since your brain is used to spending 80% of its its computer power to process visual input, when you don't have visual input, it has all that computer power that it's got nothing to do with. So it takes that and turns it towards your hearing, your sense of smell, your, your sense of touch, and to some extent, your ability to perceive the environment around you. I'm not going to call that an extrasensory, but... You know how if you if somebody stands behind you while you're working long enough, eventually you will feel that they're there, even if you don't see them, mm. kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's that's where most of the science is now is neuro, neuroplasticity. In my case, my hearing is very very good, uh, but my sense of smell is terrible. I was once tested and told I had the worst sense of sense of smell that they had ever tested at that particular institution. Oh wow! You know, so it, you know, and so and a lot of it is not just the brain adapting. It's also what do you concentrate? What, what do you focus on? You know, we we have lots of people who say that uh, if you focus on the positive or the negative in your life, whichever one you focus on, that's what you get. Well, it's kind of like that a little bit with the senses. If you're working, concentrating really hard on your on your sense of hearing, then maybe your sense of smell and your sense of touch won't be as well developed. Hmm, that's a good point, and um. So linking in with that, um, you mentioned about your, I believe, the first book where you spoke about sort of modern meditation. And I myself have uh, practiced meditation to some uh, different degrees. I don't do it every day and I'm not like I don't have like 10 minutes and sort of hum to myself or anything. So I just have breathing <laughs> techniques. Hey, I'm, big in, I'm big into music. I wouldn't have been up. I wouldn't have been disappointed in you if you did hum. Um, <laughs> I'm a big singer and I have a terrible really? singing voice. Really? You're yeah, a big singer? A, oh, man. Oh, I sing. What kind I'm of music? What kind of music? Uh, well, I, to be honest, I like... 
so many different genres. I mean, I'll sing all things from like pop, like, you know, Lady Gaga or Sia, but then I also like heavy metal and things like Slipknot and that sort of stuff. I like old school stuff like um, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons is just incredible. You know, there's, it's, I would would never sing on stage because from everyone who cares about me tells me the truth, which is my singing voice is horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) But my brother's a great singer. My dad was, and it's like, that's one thing I didn't pick up. But I I think I heard you sing on one of the, I think the start of your, one of your podcasts you sing. Actually, you yeah, have a really nice voice. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I do that. I, I started doing that with my first podcast, and that's when I recorded my first video for the Midway Marketplace a long, long time ago. I didn't have an intro or an outro, and I didn't have the money to hire somebody, and I didn't really have the tools to, to make one myself. And I said, I don't want to kick this to next year. I don't want to wait another week or another month, you know, to do this. And I said, you know, I know some people think I sing okay and a lot of people some people have made fun of my singing but why not just sing and i did the first like maybe eight or ten bars of uh of what is it called the christmas song from nat king cole because it was near the end of the year it was it was good timing and then i went into what i wanted to say about whatever carnival ride i was talking about and uh people said they liked it the more i've done it the more they say they like it um a couple of years ago, I was speaking at that event in Philadelphia the first time I was on stage. And after it was over with, I'm hanging out with the other speakers and they're all taking pictures. And I said, you know, well, how would you guys feel if I, you know, just stood here in front of the banner and maybe sang a few bars just so I could say I did it. And so I did the uh, second verse of the river by Garth Brooks, which is my go-to song. Mm. And uh, I got my, my knees turned to jelly. My belly felt weird. Um, you know, just a a spiritual experience, although it scared the heck out of me. And the two guys standing beside me in the picture are kind of holding me up. But after I was finished singing, one of the other guys, his name is Azuka Zuk, who is, you know, one of the most polished speakers I've ever seen and been blessed to hear in person. He said, Max, from now on, when you, when you speak, when you talk, when you podcast, you have to sing, it's going to be your thing. Trust me. And I'm like, okay, you, you speak a lot more often and seem to know more about what you're doing than I do. So so I went with it. But the thing is, is in, um, in junior high school, when I started losing my vision, um, I started, I got the misconception in my mind that people on television, that when they sang, their lips didn't move or didn't move much because my vision was that bad. And mm-hmm. so people would make fun of it and nobody would ever tell me why they were making fun of it. Uh, and at one point, uh, I was actually singing in a choir competition and with a bunch of other people and I was told just to lip sync. So, you know, for a long time I wouldn't sing. I was scared of doing it. Um, I'm still never really sure if people say they like it because they like it or because they're my friends. And so singing on the podcast is kind of one of those things where every time I do it, it's a reminder that, Max, this is something scary, but you're going to do it anyway. And it's one thing, you know, I can do on a regular basis to to help people out there that are that are facing or you know are thinking about something that scares them and they're trying to get up the nerve to do something about it and that's awesome and what, what sort of other music while we're on the topic uh, do you like other than that garth brooks song what sort of are there any songs from ziggy you also like to sing well or? my most of the music that i know i i sing pretty good but i don't have a i don't have a huge range and mm. my music taste seem to be stuck about the end of 2010 <laughs> So I love people who have kind of a slow pace or at least not a really fast pace and not a really high voice. So, you know, people like George Strait and Garth Brooks and Randy Travis and Merle Haggard, those kind of guys, 
they fit my mm-hmm. voice. To a certain extent, Jimmy Buffett fits my voice. Um, I'm starting to find some, you know, some more spiritual songs that are being recorded lately that fit my voice. But we've actually been talking about this lately amongst my friends. And, and I think what I need to do is I need to start uh, like maybe once a month saying, okay, y'all know what I can sing. So everybody suggests one new song that I should go out and find on the internet and learn how to sing it and record it. Mm, that'd be great. So, 100% and I, do that. Yeah. And since you seem to have a much wider knowledge of music than I do, I'm actually going to give you the first shot at it if you want. So you're more than welcome. If, if you want to email me after we're through and go, okay, Max, I think you should sing. Uh, unless you've got an idea for a song right this second that you want to just throw down on me. Well, there's there's a band. I don't know why, but this one band has come to my mind, and they're called Kaleo. I'm not sure if you've heard Kaleo. of them. Kaleo. Yeah, K A L E O. They're quite. Um, they've only got one. Al- they've got one album out. They're just in the midst of. Yeah, don't say one. only one album. Come on, man. If somebody's published a album, they're killing it. <laughs> well, I think they're killing it. I think they're one of the most talented Kaleo. bands there are. Kaleo. So, what yeah. is their song? Uh, um, oh, well, they've got they've got a song called um, "I Can't Go On Without You." That yeah. is a really, really nice, cool song. Um, so it would it would probably be that one, or maybe the song "Automobile." I'll have to email you them after this. I'll I'll email them both to you, like a uh, links or something, all right, all and right. then we'll, you can we'll choose them. Consider that challenge accepted, and we'll start a new <laughs> thing on the. You know, once a month, that'll, hey, that'll give me new content for my podcast. Once a month, I won't have to think about what I'm going to say. I just. Record new music and give credit to whoever sent the suggestion in. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That'll work. Yeah, I, mean, I like it. I like it. And I really, I really do. You know, want to uh, to find new music to sing. But there's so much music, great music being created. You only have so much time to 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 listen to new music. So I'm kind of like that stranger who comes to town and he's hoping he can find a, a local that will tell him where all the good stuff is. You know, <laughs> that's yeah, what I exactly. really need. So I really need people like you to go, okay, Max, I think you could sing this song. All right. So, so Kaleo and something off their first album. And if one of those two songs isn't it, I'll maybe I'll find something on there that speaks to me. And Oh, mm. by the way, just for the people that are listening to your podcast, before we started this episode, Mike said that tangents and distractions are appreciated on this show. And I told him that's great. Cause I'm really good at it. <laughs> that is completely true and i recommend your show as well which i'll obviously include links and whatnot to in the description too but yeah your show is encapsulating both of our shows have very similar sort of uh feels to them in a sense you know you just want to chat with people who are interesting and have a good conversation yeah yeah and you really just at the end of it you want to get in that i i, I like to say it, i like to think of it as being mindful or being on mission or i just want to get to that point where i'm thinking so much about the the person and the conversation that I'm not really thinking about what I'm going to say next or what I'm going to ask next. I'm not thinking about is my computer recording or is Zoom working? I'm just thinking, man, this is a great conversation and I want it to continue. And, and you know, also the other thing that we have very much in common is that we have a wide variety of people that we find interesting who we want to talk with. And that's one of the really cool things about having a podcast. Very seldom Will people tell you, no, I'm not going to come on your podcast? If they do, they will say it nicely. Like I get, sometimes you'll get, well, my client would like to do that, but he can't do it right now. You know, so you, <laughs> you which is fine with me. Um, I recently got that from Stephen King's agent, but well, every once in a while you have to stretch and you have to pitch somebody that you 
don't have a chance in heck of getting on your show just for the fun of it, you know? And, 100%. And of course, what if they say yes? But the great thing about the podcast is you can ask people you like and have become a fan of online. Many of them will say yes. They will come on your show, even if you're a relatively new show. And you get to sit down, talk to them, get to know them. And you get to ask them those questions that when, they're, when, they're, when you saw them on somebody else's show and the show was over, you're like, why didn't they ask them that? That's what I asked them. And you get to be that person for 30 minutes or 15 minutes or an hour. So, you know, I, I really love podcasting. If, and I think if more people approached it as just something fun to do, as opposed to I've got to be really good at it really quick and get really and make and make a lot of money from it, you know, so. 100% agree. And I actually told somebody on a group this morning on Facebook. And he said, my pot, my podcast only has a few episodes it's just starting to grow I said I said as long as your podcast continues to be fun it's worthwhile and that's you know how I like to look at my show I think that's how you approach your show judging by the conversation we've had so mm -hmm. far and I think more people you know there's an expression there's old expression in baseball and I don't know if you'll get this because uh you know I'm assuming you're probably you probably know cricket more than baseball <laughs> but maybe the expression goes that most guys who hit home runs don't try to hit home runs. They just try to hit the ball hard and let everything else take care of itself. Mm, I get that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. So, and I think that's the way it was with podcasting and blogging, with writing. If you're, you know, basically having fun, sharing your story, creating stories if you're into fiction, and not worrying about whether or not people are going to like it, whether or not people are going to buy it, or how quickly you can make a living from it, then it, it can last. Mm. Because as long as it stays fun, and as long as you're enjoying it, you know, that, that, that to me is a big key. And one other thing I got to make sure I mention, because this is part of my, this is part of my brand, it's something I'm known for saying, when I ask people to come on my show, or when I ask people to let me come on their show, or when I say I want to speak on somebody's stage, I can do this because long time ago, my dad taught me an expression. He said, Max, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. And I know a lot of people have heard the other version of that, which is, well, why not ask? Because the worst thing to do is say no. My, my dad was always a more positive kind of person. He was the kind of guy who could, you know, he could, he could laugh at it when we were getting rained out or when nobody was on the midway. He could tell you a story to make you feel better. But he always, he always would say, when, when I would get frustrated doing the bookings and doing all that cold calling and trying to get people to book our small carnival at their festival, he would always say, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. Now make the next call. And I'm like, I don't want to make the next call. But uh, that was the only way we could book a, a, a full schedule because, you know, over here we call them carnivals. Over there they all call them fun fairs or fairground rides. We had seven rides. In Texas, most people had 20. So hmm. I, had to get told a, I had to get told no a lot before I would get told yes. And so it's become part of my part of, you know, it's one of the things I, I say all the time. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. And I'm starting to discover that one of the bad things about a brand is the more you say something, the more you get known for it, the more people want to throw it in your face. Because like, I have become known as this guy, you know, the no excuses guy or Max, what's your excuse? And so every once in a while now, somebody will go, Max, um, you should try, you should try doing this. And I'm like, I don't want to. And they're like, I thought you were the no excuses guy. <laughs> Well, yes, I am, but that doesn't mean that I have to do everything that I'm capable of doing. Uh, this, you know, this doesn't fit what I want to do right this minute. And you know, it's one of those things. It's been a very difficult lesson to learn, a difficult adjustment to make in how I see myself. Which is, in the beginning, you know, 12 years ago when I started that first website, I thought the only thing I could do beyond running a carnival was selling carnival rides. And so, if people asked me to do something different, I would say, No, I can't do that. 
And then eventually people would say, as you know, as as I succeeded at bigger and bigger things that I had no idea what the heck I was doing with most of the time, uh, people would go, well, Max, you ought to try this. And I would go, sure, I could probably do that and, and actually go ahead and try it. But now I've gotten to that point where they'll go, Max, you need, you should try this. And my answer will be, well, well, yes, I could try that. But does it fit into what I'm doing now, what my, what my goals are for me for the next year or two? So, I mean, in the beginning, it's about saying yes. But eventually you get to that point where you have to learn how to say no. And the one thing I'm learning as I interview more and more successful people is that learning how to say no is the harder part. Mm. yeah i mean that's that's a very good point yeah because i mean i found out with this show like once i sort of started it going and it started um getting more listens and started kind of making a name for itself in in a sense in in the podcasting world and things there was at a point where i was getting quite a few people asking me if they could come on the show and things and obviously because i'm sure you find this as well to some degree is when you have a show that doesn't have the niche like the niche is just i find people interesting there's no specific any other criteria when they have that, there's so many people who ask. And obviously, if I suggest to everyone, then all the people that I really want to chat to wouldn't actually ever get on the schedule because I'd have all these people who are really eager and not these people that I'm actually seeking out. So that's actually a really good point. And saying no is like saying yes to people is kind of easy in, in some ways because it's, it's positive, it's happy in air quotes, it's reinforcing. But when you say no, it is that thing of you're almost like a bad guy in that situation, even though you shouldn't be. You know, it's that kind of mindset. Oh, yeah, I totally get it. Because in the last few months, I've had days where I thought, rather than tell somebody no, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could just record another episode a week or something. And I'm like, (laughs) no, Max, you can't do that. (laughs) Uh, So we all feel those kinds of pressures. And, and, you know, it starts by saying yes to something, no matter how small that thing is. And then as you grow, you know, say you record 10 episodes, say you've, uh, you've grown your social media following, say people are actually starting to comment, leave reviews on your podcast. Then, like you say, more and more people find you, more and more people want to be on the show, more and more people want to have you on their show. And so you you get to that point where you do have to start saying no, you have to start protecting yourself so you can continue to follow the goals that are uniquely yours. Mm. And by the way, I just realized that you got me off track. I was going to say something about meditation until you started talking about singing. <laughs> um, the chapter I wrote about modern meditation the reason I wanted to get back to it, because I think it's important, is too many people think about meditation as ritualized. Uh, they're worried about, am I doing it right? Am I doing it long enough? Am I in the right posture? Do I need a strine? And I have come across the idea that there are opportunities in everybody's day to cleanse their mind, to do the breathing, and focus on themselves or an idea or a thought. They just don't take advantage of them. Um, I used to have a crazy dog named Penny. She's passed away, sadly. She used to come and bother me right when I was in the middle of something important to me. And she would go, pet me, pet me. And she weighed about 95 pounds and she would lean on me. So it wasn't like I could not pet her. (laughs) And I used to get upset about it. And then finally I realized, okay, I can't stop her from doing what she does. She's a dog. So what can I do? And I decided, well, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to think about nothing. I'm just going to pet this dog. I'm going to feel her fur. I'm going to smell the, the, the smelly dog that needs a bath smell. <laughs> and I'm just going to, I'm going to do my breathing. And when I'm, you know, in 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, she'll be through and, and I can go back to what I'm doing in a better frame of mind. But there are lots of things like that. Uh, some people sing, some people hum, some people used to doodle. Uh, some people used to watch clouds or look at a kaleidoscope. 
some people sing. Some people have repetitive jobs. I find one of the best opportunities for meditation is exercise, but very few people take advantage of it. Mm, I completely agree I mean, with you. Think about it. It's very repetitive. It's very mind-numbing. There's not a lot of, a lot of thought involved when you're on a treadmill, a stationary bike, or even when you're jogging out on, out on a road or, or a field somewhere. Mm, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, with me with meditation, um, obviously, when I was younger, and you hear about it a lot, a lot of the time, the first thing people hear about meditation is with an air of skepticism. You know, you hear of, you remember the movies you saw or the TV shows or whatever that sort of stereotypical hippie person on the legs, you know, <laughs> with their legs crossed, going om to themselves. And you go, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. And then when you look yeah. more into it, you go, oh no, the science backs it up, and it does actually make sense. And everyone has their own way of doing it. And now with me, what I do is I actually lay down. Uh, pretty much all the time and I, I've done it before on my lunch break at work I've, there's a field right near my work that I normally go for a, a run in and I was really really stressed one day and I did the same meditation as I do here at home and I went out there I basically laid down uh, on the grass um, and I just closed my eyes and I just focused on my breathing I think it's quite a common one which is just you know a deep slow inhale and then a yeah. deep slow exhale but still while being deep, being gentle as well. And all you think about is the visualization of the air going in your lungs and the air coming out. And eventually everything else just kind of gets tuned out and you just get yeah. this this lovely state of sort of bliss and you lose track of time in a way. And unfortunately I set up my <laughs> phone alarm because otherwise I would have been late back to work. But it, it's yeah, that sort of thing. But, oh yeah, but that plays into what I'm saying is you have decided that, that successful meditation doesn't require a ritual. Mm -hmm. I mean- you can do it anywhere you can, uh, that you can get into the, a physical position that you like. You've, I mean, you're meditating out on a grass field. <laughs> and there are a lot of people who teach meditation who would think, ah, that'll never work. <laughs> uh, and there are a lot of people who think, oh, that'll never work. So I, I think it's great. I think we need to, there, there are documented medical benefits, especially with blood pressure and hypertension and even even way you process information can be affected positively by meditation. But a lot of people don't do it because, like you say, they have the stereotypes in their head. They think only woo-woo crazy people do meditation. Or they think that if they're not doing it in a, in a specific way or if they're not doing it in a way that's painful to them, that it's not going to benefit them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those odd ones. It's kind of, in, in a funny way, it's kind of like, art in some sense in a, in a really sort of abstract of course, way yes. of just you can do it however you want to do it so long as it works for you and that's really what it should be about being a creative is the same as self-care in, in a sense of sort of in a similar vein if you know what i'm saying i, I agree with you exactly and uh, i think that it's that way with you know we can even go beyond meditation um there are a lot of people that when they're trying to accomplish a goal they get locked into what i like to call the the, the picture on the puzzle box problem where they've got it in their head, they're going to accomplish their goal in a specific way, either because they think it's the best way or because it's the way everybody else is doing it or everybody else has done it. And when they can't do it in the way that they're expecting it to, then they're stuck. And, you know, a lot of times you have to get to that point where you basically throw out the rule book, you, you figure out, okay, what works for me? What doesn't work for me? One of my favorite quotes ever is from Louise Hay, who said that the two most dangerous expressions in the English language are should and should not, because we get into so much trouble by doing things based on what other people's expectations or uh, what other people's rules might be. And, you know, for me, we're talking about podcasting today. For two years, I did not post my uh, podcast audio to any of the podcast players because 
the process of uploading and posting the audio was so painful using a screen reader because I do use speech on my computer. Hmm. It was so much of a bother that I stopped doing it. I did not enjoy the process of getting the interviews out onto the internet. So I slowed down on asking people to be on my show. I didn't schedule recordings. I didn't post recordings. And then I finally asked myself, Max, is there anything that says that your podcast has to be on audio? That, you know, that you have to be on Apple and Stitcher and all those other places in order to be successful with the podcast? And when I came back to myself with the answer being no, then for, you know, the last year or so, my interviews were being posted to YouTube and to Facebook. And only this last summer in July did I revisit that problem and go, okay, well, maybe there is a better way to do what I was doing. Maybe things have changed as far as the the software, the websites that you have to use. You know, maybe it, there it will be easier now than it was before. And uh, I connected with a really good friend of mine. His name is Michael Babcock from uh, Oregon. His website is yourownpay.com. He's a really good friend. He uh, talked me through the process of reestablishing my podcast with uh, with Blueberry or Blubbery hmm. and starting to share the audio. And on July 1st, we've started posting the audio again. And uh, probably about twice a month now, I'm posting interviews that people have never heard before because if they weren't one of those 150 some odd subscribers to my YouTube channel. They didn't know they existed. So I've got, I've got probably half a year to a year's worth of content that, you know, people are going to see or hear as brand new content because I just decided if the process is making me hate doing the podcast to the point where I'm not doing the podcast, then change the process. And I think, you know, what you were saying about how meditation is, is good as long as it works for you when it comes to our passions and the things we're trying to accomplish, the answers we select are fine as long as they work for us. I mean, I would never recommend to anybody else that they hand code HTML uh, unless WordPress goes out of, out of business. But I did it for seven years because I didn't have a choice. And it was, you know, it was a decision between do I have a website or not have a website? Do I learn how to code HTML or not have a website. So as a blind person, I had to learn how to do that stuff, that crap, and I would never do it again unless <laughs> I you know, I get down on my knees on a regular basis and thank God for for WordPress because it does make so, so many things so much simpler and um like I said just just like with what you were saying about meditation when it comes to accomplishing our goals, you have to sit down and think is what I'm telling myself is it working for me or is it holding me back? Because we tell ourselves a lot of stories. We give ourselves a lot of excuses. Some of them are very simple, very basic. Some of them are very complicated stories, but we hold ourselves back a lot of the time because we've convinced ourselves that we either can't do it or it has to be done this one certain way that we can't do uh, or that we're not talented enough or that we don't have enough money or we're not rich or good looking enough. There's a lot of excuses we give ourselves but if you can find something that works for you and you find something that will help you do something, uh, something small to start off with, you can eventually build up to where you're somebody like me and you, where, you know, I've written three books and traveled around the country and started a podcast. Uh, my very first action that I ever took that was solely on my own was when I filed for my first domain name. And when I filed for the domain name, I had no idea how, we were, how I was going to build a website or how I was going to get online. 
or even how people built websites or what the heck HTML was. <laughs> and I started with filing for the domain name. It took over four months and some help from my brother to get online with a very, very simple website. It took another year before I felt comfortable that I could do all the basic stuff to update, maintain, and build my, and you know expand my website. But I should mention that I had one of the most, I had one of the ugliest looking websites ever, but I sold hundreds of thousands of dollars of carnival equipment with it because I didn't focus on the website and I focused on selling the equipment. I'm going to tell the short version of this since I'm blind and really had no idea what colors I was choosing. My website had a yellow background, blue text, red link text, and orange previously clicked link text. Ooh. So I would later find out, and oh, by the way, there was a, since I couldn't edit my images people were sending me, there might be two or three different size photos on a page together. So my background was the ice cream and yellow. The blue turned out to be navy. The red turned out to be brick. The orange turned out to be fluorescent. I was more, I've been told more than once that, that Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have an argument over this website. It was so bright. <laughs> but I didn't have the money to hire somebody to fix it. I didn't have the ability to make it better. So instead of focusing on the fact, you know, oh, poor me, my website's garbage and nobody's going to visit it. No, I recruited new people to list new equipment. I sent out a whole lot of emails. I worked social media as much as I could. And I did sell hundreds of thousands of dollars of rides. I still sell rides to that website, although I'm not as active on it as I used to be. And some of them have traveled across oceans to get to their new homes. And I share this story and it's one of the most common, it's one of the stories I share most often because I feel perfectionism is probably more dangerous than fear. And if there's one thing I'm not, it's a perfectionist. I'm definitely a good, good enough, uh, over, over, it could be better tomorrow, next week or next month. You know, you've, <laughs> you've seen my work, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who takes down podcast episodes because the lighting was bad or gets mad at and people, if they say that my website doesn't look as good as it should, or one of my videos could have been better, to me, the fact that it's out there in the world means it has the opportunity to inspire, motivate, and encourage somebody else. And the people who need to be encouraged, they're going to look at it and they're going to go, hey, the blind guy did that. What's mm -hmm. my excuse? The people who don't need the encouragement, they're going to go, man, he should really hire somebody to help him make this look better. And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Uh, as I said in the intro, part two will be out next week at the same time. For a little bit more detail, part two has got more information on Jeremy Maxwell and his books and his blog, The Blind Blogger and things like that. Um, he also speaks about doing things for himself and working solo, uh, the value of stillness, learning from negative experiences, uh, Maxwell's time in the carnival business, which is quite interesting. Um, and also right at the end of part two, you get to hear Maxwell do some singing. So I think that's a first on Genuine Chit Chat, but it's really interesting chat. Uh, his singing is really nice and it's a lot of fun, isn't it? You know, that's what this show is all about and it's something he's passionate about. So, you know, stay tuned for that next week too. Coming up in the following weeks, um, I recorded my chat with Frank Burton. That was a really brilliant chat about his new book. That episode is going to be out in the next, I don't know, couple of weeks or so. Um, I can't remember if I've got another podcast lined up in the meantime, because I've got this one with Maxwell, um, which is obviously a two-parter. Uh, and then I've also still got recorded 
um, the Frank Burton two-parter. That's all I've got recorded at present. Um, I think I might be recording a podcast, not next week, but the week after. Um, so I can't quite remember. Um, it may be a case of releasing the two-parter of Frank Burton, and then I've got three podcasts lined up for recordings. I'm hoping two of them will be two-parters, uh, so that should do me for the month. Um, I've been in contact with a few other people that I find interesting, and someone, one of them is really, really interested in coming on the show. Um, I haven't yet had like 100% full confirmation. They've just asked for details and we're going to talk about things um but i went into a float tank recently an isolation chamber basically like a pod filled with salt water you lay in there the pod closes and it's in relative silence um you've got your plugs in as well and you're so still and the water is the same temperature as your body so you basically float and feel weightless it's really good for muscles and joints and things it's really good for sort of mental state as well it's like um it's like an intense meditation in in some ways but it's not actually intense it's just like a, a much easier to get into a resting meditative state in an isolation chamber slash float tank than it is naturally um so i did that and i basically um put a post on facebook about it and the person who uh, runs it and owns the company that i use got into contact with me and we started chatting and i mentioned about the podcast and blah 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 blah. so that's a potential thing that's something i'm really interested by because i really want to talk to someone about sort of isolation chambers float tanks that sort of stuff and the individual that i spoke to has got another business they run they've got a really interesting job loads of cool things but i can't really talk anymore about it just in case they uh, pull out on things so that's what's in the pipeline as well as i think i mentioned before i've got the recording with goff of beer nuts production which will be his third appearance on genuine chit chat um i've got another podcast group which i'm hoping to get on my show but i don't want to talk too much about that yet and then i've got a gentleman as well uh who specializes in i think it was cybersecurity. um so that's something that really interests me too so that's kind of what you can look forward to over the next coming weeks uh for genuine chit chat um i'm thinking about getting another episode recorded with reese because i always have a great chat with him um so i may end up doing that at some point in the future um and then i've got a few other things sort of in the pipeline so that's going to be it from me i think at the end of this guys um as i said you know check out maxwell stuff give him some love check out his podcast it's not dissimilar to this one um as you can hear from this chat he's just a really fun and wholesome guy who's been dealt a really shit hand in life um but he's making it work and he's enjoying it and that's all you can really ask for people who've gone through horrible shit experiences is just push through it and look in the lighter side of things and that's exactly what maxwell is doing and that's why i'm so proud to release these episodes because even if a few extra people hear of him and that inspires even one person then that that makes it worth it and yeah i just think max was a brilliant guy and he doesn't get enough attention and love so you know thank you especially to you lovely listener and if there's multiple of you there thank you lovely listeners um for checking this out listening all the way to the end um i appreciate each and every one of you listening especially all the far to the end to my rambly nonsense at this part um and i love you all so thank you so much and hopefully i'll talk to all of you guys next week